On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. We are so excited for today's complicated conversation with Kate Bear. Kate is a number one New York Times bestselling author and poet based on the East Coast. She's been featured in publications such as Harper's Bazaar, Vogue.com, Entertainment Weekly, and Literary Hub. Her debut collection of poetry, What Kind of Woman, was an instant New York Times bestseller and Goop book club pick. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Kate. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me me. It's an honor. You are the first poet we have had in our complicated conversation series, and we could not be more thrilled. As you know, we recently did a poetry episode inspired by What Kind of Woman? And on that episode, I read a quote from you that I really related to. You said, poetry is so boiled down. It's straight to the heart. That's what I love so much about it. It can be like reading your favorite novel in one paragraph. So I'd love to start by having Having you boil down what kind of woman for our listeners, maybe describe it and the themes you wanted to explore in it. Okay, wow. We'll start off with a really loaded question here. It's so hard to sum up the book in some ways, just because I did not set out that specific theme in mind. It sounds so cliche, and I've said this before, but when I sat down to write this book, it felt like everything I'd ever felt and thought about motherhood, womanhood, and friendship kind of just came out. It was like it was building and building and building, which I know sounds so cliche that I just sat down and wrote it. Of course, it was difficult, and there were many times of writer's block and stagnation, but in general, it it really did feel like it just came gushing out like I'd been holding something in. And I certainly didn't start out with like, now we're going to talk about this in part one and talk about this in part two. You know, that was later. But I mean, the title does speak for itself in some ways. But yeah, I think it's a book about women feeling seen in their bodies and seen in their marriages or their relationships, friendships in life. You know, it's pretty personal. So a lot of it is just my perspective. And I realize that's not everybody's perspective, but the feedback has been so wonderful. And I'm just so glad so many other women have seen themselves in it. I'm going to talk more about the fact that I did not understand poetry before reading your book. Your book led me to Ruby Corr and a lot of other poets that have been out there for a while, but yours was definitely the entry point for me. And I recently read that people seem to be gravitating towards poetry for lots of reasons, but particularly in the pandemic, because their attention seems bifurcated. Either they can handle something that's really long, like a 
thick, big, juicy novel or nonfiction or poetry. And that no one really kind of wants the middle ground anymore, the essays, the short stories. That's more of a struggle. And that for me was definitely why I loved your poems. They just, like Kate's quote of yours, it just gets right to it. I love that. Do you feel that way about poetry? Have you always felt that way? I've always felt that way, but it has been interesting to watch this cultural shift. Even before the pandemic, I do think we were kind of leaning that way, but I I think the pandemic kind of pushed people over the edge and people want a lens to look at the world. And I think poetry lends itself to that. It's also easily consumed. I I hadn't heard that though about the things people were reading. I, I know people are reading poetry, but I hadn't heard that about long, juicy novels. Although that's, I can totally relate to that. That's what I've been reading as well. Me too. Yeah. And it's been one or the other, but keeping my attention for a middle ground, either I have to settle in or I want kind of a a quick hit of it. And your book definitely did that for me. And so as I was saying, Kate and I came from different positions into poetry. Kate was an English major. She took many poetry classes. I actually was going to be an English major, but for the fact that I had to take poetry. And that was like, it was a deal breaker for me. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. But now, since reading your book, I've found, quote unquote, insta-poets. And for me, it's just given me access to a whole new world of feelings and emotions and expressing yourself. So for me, I think insta-poet is a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. I was wondering how you feel about that category. Do you feel the same way? I think it can be hurtful only when it's, it it really depends who is saying it and why. And when the connotation is negative or, you know, you can kind of tell when it's an insult. like Dismissive dismissive or it reminds me of when I used to write uh, motherhood essays for Huffington Post. People would call me a mommy blogger, but it's true. I I was writing about being a mother and I am putting my poetry, some of it on the internet. So in some ways it's true. And I think often accessible is code for amateur, but sometimes it's not. So I think it really depends the context of being called that. In general, I've really let it go and I'm happy to be called that as long as people are connecting with the work. But yeah, it really depends the context of that term. And I'm so glad that I could be a gateway for you with poetry. I've heard that a lot. And that's the best compliment. That was Mary Oliver for me. And so it's such a compliment to hear that. I resisted doing the first one. And I was like, I don't have anything to say about poetry. I'm not going to say anything. Music? Okay. Poetry, I don't really get. Well, the education system has failed us in so many ways with poetry because we teach old, dead, white guys that so many people can't relate to. So much poetry is funny, it can be sexy, it can be super interesting, but that's not what we're showing kids. And instead, we're putting poetry that is very difficult to interpret in front of kids. And of course, they don't want it. I I had no interest in that kind of poetry either. And it it felt like you had to be a certain kind of person to appreciate it or to understand it. And so I think so many people feel that way about poetry. And if anything, Instagram poets or whatever you want to call them have really helped to change that, which is to me a great thing. Absolutely. And that was what I wanted to respond to you saying, accessible being code for amateur, for me, it was the content. It's not that it's so easy to read, like as if it's elementary. It's just the content. I've never seen anyone writing about storing memories in my clavicle. It was that you were speaking to something I had never seen in poetry before. And that was what made it accessible to me. I had had those experiences. I had had those feelings and emotions. And so that's accessible to me. Yeah. And so you opened a door for Corinne. And to be honest, she's right. I did take a lot of poetry classes 
things, but I completely forgot about them. So you reminded <laughs> me of my love of poetry. And then it started this whole rabbit hole of me going back through my middle school and high school journals where I actually wrote really bad poetry, but wrote it nonetheless. And then remembered all the classes that I loved at college. And a lot of them were poetry, but they were the old dead white guys. That is true. But it really hit both of us in different ways, but definitely had a real profound effect on us, your book. So as I'm sure you know, on Pop Fiction Women, we talk a lot about complicated women, which to us just means real three-dimensional human beings with contradictions and conflict. And to us, complicated is not one thing. And your work is all about the inherent contradictions that exist within motherhood and womenhood. I wanted to talk about one poem first in particular that we joked could be the pop fiction women theme song, which is <laughs> a moon song. So I was hoping you would read that for us and sort of talk a little bit about why you wrote the poem and what it means to you. Sure. This poem is called Moonsong. You are not an evergreen unchanged by the pitiless snow. You are not a photo, a brand, a character written for sex or house or show. You do not have to choose one or the other, a dream or a dreamer, the bird or the birder. You may be a woman of commotion and quiet, magic and brain. You can be a mother and a poet, a wife and a lover. You can dance on the graves you dug on Tuesday, pulling out the bones of yourself you began to miss. You can be the sun and the moon, the dance of victory song. I love that. A woman of commotion and quiet, magic and brain. Oh, So tell us about that, what this poem means to you. This is actually one of the first poems I wrote when I came back to poetry. And I wrote it from a place of, of honestly, of rage and just frustration and a lot of sadness over who I felt that I had to be. And again, it wasn't like I sat down and I thought, I'm going to write a poem about how I can do whatever I want or be whoever I am. It's, it was more just a feeling of frustration over having to choose what kind of woman I was going to be and feeling like I had to choose either mother or writer or the lover and it really just came from that and you know it feels so long ago and yet I still often feel that way and I think that's a pretty universal feeling yeah. especially when you have children and when you're trying to balance so many things at once. That's certainly a universal feeling and those identities might be different from woman to woman what you struggle with you know, trying to balance, but I think the complexity and the, you would describe it as the flattening of your identity once. And I thought that was a great word. That's what motherhood asks of us. And I don't think that's necessary. And we're all trying to shake ourselves out into some more dimensions. One of my favorite poems of yours that we didn't get a chance to discuss on our poetry episode is Like a Wife. There's the body image aspect that Kate will touch on soon. But what struck me was the tone. I love the saltiness and the way it turns expectations expectations on their head because you're playing with something domestic cooking a woman's place is in the kitchen but the main course is kind of this asshole and your appetite is insatiable would you like to read it and talk about it a little bit too sure this one's called like a wife the week before my wedding my friend's dad said just don't get fat like other wives do and so i brined him in a deep salt bath added thyme and celery devoured him whole in one big bite so he could see just how hungry a woman can be. So good. Mm -hmm. That one is short, but one of my favorites only because sometimes a revenge poem feels really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, that one is certainly one of those. 
Did someone actually say that to you? Oh, you're gonna... I know. That's what people always want to know. That one is very autobiographical. It did to me 10 years ago. Oh, 11 years ago. But it took that long to get my revenge, but it feels pretty good now. <laughs> well, we're going to stay on the body image, something your poetry, I think, addresses with really refreshing candor. And it's just yet another example of the way in which you seem to be saying what so many of us are feeling inside. On our poetry episode, I talked about Robin Hood, your poem. And I'd love for you to read that. And then I do have a question for you. Sure. This one's called Robin Hood. Imagine if we took back our diets, our grand delusions, the time spent thinking about the curve of our form. Imagine if we took back every time we called attention to one or the other, her body, our body, the bad shape of things. Imagine the minutes that would stretch into hours, day after day, stolen back like a thief. Imagine the power of loose arms and assurance. The years welcomed home in a soft cotton dress. So that one really hit me. I said on our last episode that we did that I spend, as Corinne knows, far too much time worried about weight and body image. And when I read that, I thought, oh, my God, she's right. The minutes, if you added up the minutes, what a complete and utter waste of time. And we had done an episode previously on Untamed by Glennon Doyle. And I talked a lot on that one, too, because Glennon says, even though she's obviously done a lot of work and is very evolved, she still feels like she sort of wastes time thinking about this. So I I think it's fairly universal. But I said on that episode that I don't know how to actually stop. How do you do that? This whole idea of loving your body sounds like a great idea, except I just don't know how you do that in practice. And I heard you talk about offering some sort of practical advice, how to change this conversation on body image and how you've done that in your own life. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think first it's important to note that Amy Poehler calls it the demon, although I might be misquoting her. And we can call her Janet. I don't know. Janet's always (laughs) in your mind. Or I shouldn't say always in your mind. I'll speak for myself. I know that I can't kick Janet out forever. I know she is always going to visit me, that she's always there somewhere, but taking my attention off of her and my focus off of her, while it's not easy, it is possible. And it took me a very long time to learn just that it's even possible to stop giving her so much attention in my mind. I think accepting that she'll always be there is important, but then working towards not giving her the spotlight. For me, we are telling ourselves a story every day on all sorts of things, what kind of mothers we are, what what kind of women we are, what kind of friends we are, what kind of wife we are. And the way that we talk to ourselves is so important. And the way we talk about bodies in general is so important. Something I try to talk about a lot is when we are with our friends, especially our close friends, sometimes we, and it's okay, but sometimes we, we let ourselves talk about bodies in a way that we don't know how that's harming everyone in the room. Because when we put down our own bodies, we're putting it down every other body in the room that is either different than ours, the same as ours, we're suddenly drawing comparison for everyone in the room. And I think cutting out that kind of behavior is maybe one of the first steps. And then realizing that even when we're saying it just in our head and keeping it to ourselves, it is still contributing because, you know, Janet's listening. (laughs) You're always listening, hearing that voice and changing that narrative both the one that you're speaking out loud and the one that's in your head, I think, while it's not easy, is possible. 
I love what you're saying about in conversations with your friends. And I talked about this. I do have a lot of friends who do talk about weight or body, you know, so I'm in the conversation. They're heavy, you know, I just share too. And then afterwards, why are we all talking about this? And I like this idea of just changing the conversation or not participating in a conversation about that. Yeah. About three years ago, I started doing this thing where now I just walk away. Even with what I very much love, if they start talking about weight, I just get up from the table or I change rooms. I don't participate in those conversations anymore. It's not your business how someone sees you. <laughs> it's not your business how people see other people. Mm-hmm. And so just to remove yourself from the conversation makes such huge difference. Yeah. When you can let that go and take ownership of how we dialogue about women's weight, I mean, it starts with us. You can say whatever you want about the garbage media because, you know, magazines and TV and movies and even books. We can complain about that all we want, but the conversation about bodies actually starts with us, how we talk about ourselves, our bodies, and then how we talk about other people's bodies. That right there will change everything if, if we can stop that conversation and change that narrative. Julia Cameron talks about that, her Janet, I forgot she has a name, but it's not about body. It's about writing and it's the inner critic. And she does yeah. have a name for him. It's a man. <laughs> He's an interior decorator. She has like a whole persona for him. That. Yeah. And she's always like, thank you, Charles, for coming. But I'm busy right now. I'm working. Don't bother me. That It's the same kind of idea. And I love that. I also love that you, not surprisingly, you don't focus on one part of body. You also kind of celebrate what your body does, how it holds memories. I misspoke before I said holding memories in your clavicle, but the mother load has office in her sternum. So you, you kind of celebrate that and also celebrate it not in a glorification, but in a wonder, but also curiosity, but also recognize the burden of it all. Those poems really spoke to me as well. We have an episode out on the unlikable female protagonist, and I've been talking about I think the next frontier for unlikable women is motherhood. And part of what you're doing with these poems is kind of writing the quote unquote truth about motherhood, that it's not always hashtag blessed and whatnot. And and there's a lot more novels that are featuring quote unquote bad mothers who have thoughts about leaving or have thoughts about needing a break and wanting to get away and how that's still so hard for people to hear. I want wanted to talk to you about that and wondering if it was a struggle for you. I mean, I also was a mommy blogger like you, and I got a lot of flack for writing what I thought was the truth and that it wasn't always simple. And I had wanted to be a mother since I was very young. It was something I wanted. It was something I was happy to be. And I so I expected all the good stuff. I did not expect the hard stuff. And so I wanted to be honest about it. But I feel like it's hard to receive that. Do you get that same reception? You're asking if I feel criticized for how I am as a mother? No, I meant more do people say like, you shouldn't say something like that. You shouldn't. I feel like the reception for me was it might be true, but don't say it. Yeah, no, I actually feel the opposite. I feel like that's what people connect to the most. I don't know if you guys watched Fleabag. Fleabag was a big lightning bulb moment for me because that show really peels back the layers on a lot of things. Dating, sex, and directly addresses things that we don't normally talk about. And I think that's why it had such a huge connection with people 
men and women. And that's kind of the attitude I try to bring to writing. Poetry is good at this because you can't dance around too much. You don't have time. You kind of have to get right to it. And I think that's what a show like Fleabag does, what poetry does, and what I try to do. And I think that's what people are looking for, especially in a year like we've just had. People don't want to read the bullshit. You know, they they want the truth. Uh, they want to talk about real things. And so I have really found the opposite. It's not that I've never been criticized. Of course I have been. And writing about motherhood, I'm trying to think back when I was writing personal essays, there might've been some of that, but I think in general, that is what people are looking for. I know it's what I'm looking for. So I love to hear (laughs) you say that. Yeah. But do you think people want mothers to be sort of one dimensional? Like Corinne saying, maybe this is hopefully the new frontier because we are seeing some books where we're seeing different sides, more complexity in mothers. But I don't know, I feel like somewhat our society does really want to hold the mothers as sacred as this one thing, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely the glorification of motherhood, like, oh, they're such saints, they're such heroes. And then you feel like you have to step into that. There's also definitely a messy motherhood movement that's kind of been on the rise for the past 10 years. And it can get a little bit cliche. And I think sometimes The internet has really changed things and there is kind of a space for everyone, which definitely has its pros. But I hear what you're saying. I do think that people love to hate on the bad mom in literature, but it's also a very fascinating idea. So yeah, it's definitely complicated. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned Fleabag. This is a perfect segue to my next question. So we talk a lot on this podcast about female anger and rage. Some of our favorite, most relatable characters are angry or frustrated or in pain. I'm thinking of Jen Harding and Dead to Me or Fleabag. And we discussed on our Fleabag episodes, we did season one and season two, some quotes from Phoebe Waller-Bridge, where she talks about her writing being driven by a sense of rage and how productive that is for her. But I've heard you express anger over the weight of motherhood and the way society fails to put structures in place to support mothers. And I think that's been exacerbated or illuminated by the pandemic for sure. So do you find find that rage that you have to be productive in terms of fueling your writing? I do. I think it stops me in my tracks sometimes in a way that's unhelpful, for sure. There are times, especially right at the beginning of the pandemic, when I felt like the weight of childcare was going to fall to me. And I I knew that. And I felt such a blind rage about that, that even when I had time to write, I couldn't focus on that because all my brain could think about is this isn't fair. And why aren't we rioting in the streets? And I couldn't even think of a way to express that because it was just that white hot feeling when you can't think straight. And so for me, oftentimes I have to let it marinate a little bit and pull apart why I'm mad and who I'm mad at, because it's not really my co-parent. It's so much more than that. And so for me, it, it often takes a minute. And that's why I think when I wrote this book, it's like I had had so many moments like that over the last 35 years, and it kind of all came to a head in this book. And it takes some time. And I, I do wonder what people will be writing about in a few years when we've let this marinate a little bit, because so many issues have come to a head in the last year. Racism, childcare, inequality, inequality for women in general. And it's, yeah. it's going to be 
be interesting. I wanted to talk a little bit about writing in general for you. I read that you started a novel or wanted to write fiction in a long form, but that you started writing poetry on the side as kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll just put this here. Not That's not the real thing. For the uninitiated and the not experienced poetry person like I am, how did that happen? Poetry, despite it being so simple, words-wise, is not easy to write. It's really hard to distill things down to its essence the way you do. How did you make that leap from long form to poetry? There's just so much pressure put on poetry that I didn't really want to look directly at it. It was almost like I had to write it with one eye shut. It was like, well, I'm working on a novel, but I'm just going to cheat on it on the side with poetry. I'm not really going to acknowledge it. I'm not going to name it. I'm just going to do it on the side and not tell anybody. Like a good affair is, it's exciting and it's passionate, but then you kind of have to put it away because it's a secret. And it's funny because this next book that I'm writing or that it's, it's already written is Erasure Poetry, which I also was doing on the side. It was like, I don't know, it just keeps happening. So now I'm wondering if that is how people write books when you're like trying to do something else. And that little side project sometimes, I don't know, for me so far, that's what's come into fruition. And I wonder if it's the lack of pressure, because I think if someone would have said, okay, now sit down and write a book of poetry, I never could have done it. And so. That's been such a surprise. And so how did you know when it was time to start taking it seriously, to put the side project into the forefront? Were you just like, I just have a lot here? Yeah, or? I was like, uh, this is all I'm doing. I sent it to my agent and I thought for sure she was going to say no, because on that side of things, oftentimes poetry is not represented by agents. You have to kind of pitch it yourself. But she took a big risk on me and this poetry. The publisher did too in a lot of ways. So yeah. It was a big leap of faith for sure. Wow. So you got her as an agent by pitching a novel? Yeah, I got her as an agent through Huffington Post. A few of my pieces went viral and she contacted me and then I signed with her. And together we had kind of, I had said, you know, I don't, I'm really tired of personal narrative. I would love to try my hand at fiction. And that's why I was writing a novel. I was writing that with her and then had at the last minute changed to poetry. You recently shared a poem called There Are Days on your Instagram feed in honor of women's History Month. And we've reposted it on our feed and it blew us away in how devastatingly accurate and relatable it is. So I'd love for you to read that and then talk to you about that. Sure. That's from book three. That's not in What Kind of Woman, but I am happy to read it. It's barely written, but this is called There Are Days. There are days I can't believe we let the boys with the new blue jeans and slick haircuts decide the emotions of fourth grade girls and how those boys grow into fall athletes and spring play leads, all arms around our waist, and can I call you baby now that we are thin, and how they follow us to college, haunt our rooms with little deaths, how they slip behind a desk to sign our paychecks, become somebody's husband, say, now that I have a daughter, how they climb and climb and climb and climb. Ooh, this, like I said, we posted this on our feed. That night, I went to a friend's for dinner, two couples there, and the husband actually said, oh, Kate, he looks at his wife. He's like, what's that poem that you said was on Kate's podcast, Instagram? And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. She had read it to her husband and daughters that morning. And he said, that was so amazing. Will you read that again? So I read it at the table. And then the other wife the next morning texts me, can you send me that poem? 
home. I want to read it to my daughters. I mean, this type of, I mean, I'd love to say that my friends always pay attention to our podcast, but not always a topic at the dinner party, but this poem was, and it was the husband who said, that is amazing when you read that out loud. Because even they relate to how, unfortunately, how true this is. So I wanted you to know that, but it's just really devastatingly accurate. That's the problem. So tell us just a little bit about how this came to be. Yeah. Again, that blinding rage when Trump was elected, this came about four years later, just letting that marinate. And of course, it's not just him. This poem even in my mind has nothing to do with him, but just the feeling of being woken up and to realize so many of the things that have been put in place in my life are built around men, benefit men, and how frustrating that is. I'm so glad that you read that at the dinner table. That's really funny. (laughs) I love how, how it's zoomed out but also so specific. Like you're talking about not one woman or one man or one girl or one boy. It evokes immediately that the systems are set up wrong. The the systems are all wrong and the structures in place are just getting this wrong. But also you give us such specificity like fourth grade girls and fall athletes and spring play leads. I mean, I was just marveling at that and I think that's just what makes it feel, I don't know, it's sad that we still have to walk such a fine line, but it doesn't feel angry in a way that might put anyone off not that this is your intention or not but it's detached enough but also so true that it just gets to a really soft spot and I think everyone clearly yeah. um, men and women so I love that one. Oh, I'm glad I yeah I think probably you both feel this way too I I find myself continually surprised in a very quiet way sometimes oh this is still happening this is still the same way it was when I was a kid I overheard a conversation a few months ago this girl was getting picked on at school sorry if I get emotional and they said it's because he likes you and I, I was just really upset by that People do still say that. I know. The thing that got me is that they still, how they slip behind a desk to sign our paychecks. The other wife then started sharing stories of, you know, she works in a very male dominated industry. She's very attractive. And she starts explaining how she's always judged by her appearance, not taken seriously, then started sharing very personal experiences. I mean, it really just opened up, I think, a lot of personal relatable feelings for people. So anyway, we love that one. Thank you. Yeah, but just to circle back, and I'm not trying to continue to make you emotional, but just to relate to, I mean, my daughter had an experience like that. And someone told her it's because he likes you. And she came and told me. She obviously couldn't express that's confusing, but she was like, is that true? Or do you think that's true? And I said, I think that's why some people say they want attention, but don't know the right way to get it. And so I'm trying to express to her that that's the wrong way to get attention and you shouldn't give attention back. And I don't want her to think this is what a relationship is like. It easily could be because he likes her. That's not the point. It's more like how we frame things to girls as an excuse and how little we talk about consent. It's so hard to undo how you were taught. Even with myself, I have one daughter and three boys. I remember just a few years ago, I realized I was always putting out the pink bowl for her and the blue bowls for the boys. We have these cereal. <laughs> this is such a silly example. But I, I consider myself a pretty progressive person and a pro- 
progressive parent and still I gender my kids so quickly. And just the way we, we talk about so many things, it's so hard to not repeat how we were raised or how we grew up. And I have to constantly remind myself to try to pay attention to how I'm talking about the world. It's almost an extraordinary amount of vigilance needed to undo those things because you are thinking about big things, but then here you're like, here's the pink bulb. Yeah. The mantra I carry with me all the time, and I think so many people do is by Maya Angelou, and she says, when you know better, do better. And I think that's a great mantra for this past year as well. There's so many things I didn't know I was doing wrong and how I was hurting people without even knowing. It's hard because it takes letting go of ego and letting go of pride to say I was wrong about this. I want to talk about the erasure poems that you had mentioned. There's one in What Kind of Woman, but for some reason, when I read it, I didn't quite get it. I did, but I didn't on a deeper level until I started following on Instagram after I read the book. And I was like, oh, when I saw the two slides and I read them and I'm like, oh my gosh, every time I read one, it is such a punch to go to that second slide and be like, oh, this is what she's going to make out of it. And you often take harsh, mean, and often misogynistic comments or DMs and strike out words to make a unique poem of your own. I wanted to know how you came up with this concept and does it feel? as good as it feels to us reading it. You're like, yes. <laughs> in the What Kind of Woman, the way we did it will not be how we do it in the second one because I think it's hard to see. In this book, it'll be one side of the page will be the original and then the other side of the page will be the poem. Oh, I love so that. I think that'll be a lot easier to read. Yeah, it started out as a party trip. I never done this in my life. Yeah, I just started reading. I don't read any reviews. I don't read any articles about me. The New York Times just put out a piece on me two days ago. I did not read it. I know it's positive. I just, I don't read that stuff. I never read one Amazon review. I know I hear they're positive, <laughs> but I can't avoid messages in my inbox because a lot of women reach out to me and say really beautiful things that I think deserve a response. But that means I see all sorts of other things too. And in the last year, I, you know, normally I just quickly hit delete block, whatever, but I started looking at them a little closer. And one day I, one kind of just like rearranged a little bit in front of me. And I, I I'm telling you, on a whim, I took a screenshot. I blotted out some with a pen tool and people loved it. And I think it just speaks to how many of us are at odds with people on the internet, just in general. It does feel good in some ways. I don't ever feel bad that I called them out. There is something to revenge <laughs> poetry that I did mention before that does feel good, but it is complicated. Doing the second book was honestly depressing at times to read them over and mm. over again, especially because... We also decided to include things like the Brett Kavanaugh hearing and quotes from Trump and all sorts of other things that will be in this book. It's just hard to look at that for hours a day. But the ones that are just quick, you know, they're pretty fun to do. I, I, whenever someone sends me a message like that now, I just scan the message for nouns because oftentimes if they don't have enough nouns, I can't use it. <laughs> so I'm like, why wasn't this guy more creative? I could have used a word here and a word here. And I'm like, oh, forget it. But I can can see what you're saying about how just immersing yourself in those kind of negative comments and negativity as much fun as it is to then transform it into something of a zinger you're still you're right kind of steeped in the negativity which right. I hadn't thought about and so the second book is erasure poems now you did reference a third book you already have a third one well it's not written really but yeah a full-length book of poetry will be the third one yeah that, there's no title there's no date for that one but I wanted to mention that that one that 
I read will will be included in there. Does the Erasure Poetry Book have a date? It has a time period, so this fall. Oh, yeah. so exciting. It's coming soon. Yeah, we're stuck in the cover phase right now. So oh. When that comes out, I'll definitely post it. Well, we have to ask one last question because we're not allowed to let this go without asking this. We ask all our authors. Mm. I know. So it's a little random. Corinne and I are both lawyers and very analytical kind of control freaks. But the way we kind of get in touch with our intuitive, or woo-woo side is through astrology. And so we find that a lot of authors are into this too, or at least seemingly more in touch with their intuitive side than our lawyer friends. So we ask every author, what is your sign and do you relate to it? That's so funny. What I equate to this, I'm not really into astrology, but it's funny. My friends and I dissect everything through the Enneagram, which to me is just like astrology, just some random stuff together that you relate to. I do think it's a little bit more accurate, but I'm an Aries, which I don't really relate to. Corinne is- oh, no, I'm an Aries. Oh, good. Tell me, what does an Aries do? Aries are particularly inclined to take rage and use it for action. They're very okay. action-oriented. But when you get more into astrology, you realize that it's hard to relate to one sign. And there are so many other signs that influence a person's chart, your moon sign, your rising sign. All of those things are very specific and they do come together to paint a more accurate picture. I mean, there aren't just 12 kinds of people, like 12 astrological signs. So you see the blend, like I'm Aries sun and Aries rising and a Capricorn moon. I think I need to find out my other things because whenever I look at the quick recaps, you know, people will post, whenever I read Aries, I'm like, they're the worst, which I think happens when it's yours. Whenever I read my Enneagram recap, I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. Now, what's your Enneagram number? I'm a four. Four? Okay, I'm, I'm two. such a four that I don't even think I have wings. I think I'm just a straight up worse four. Constantly crying, constantly feeling sad or mad about things. So I'm a four through and through. But I don't know if fours are often Aries. That'd be a really interesting thing to study with Enneagram and astrology. If there's overlap, I'm sure if I Googled that, there'd be like 17,000. So by the way, the wings of Enneagram are similar to knowing your sun sign, your moon sign, and your rising sign, because those are three. Yeah. So you might live in your moon sign more. So you would relate to that. And then your wings are where, like when you're at your worst, maybe you're most Aries. So I just learned about the Enneagram. I'm surprised. Like I know the love languages, your Myers-Briggs. I'm like last to the Enneagram party, which is crazy since I love all these can we remember what I was? I think I was one, two, seven or something. Is Whatever the super industrious people who are really annoying. That was me. It sounded like me. Well, they're all annoying because everybody's <laughs> annoying. So in their own way, they're all annoying. I think fours were the most annoying, but I think that's because I am one. I guess that's what it is. It's pointing out your own stuff back at you. Yeah. When I read it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I sound awful to live around. Yeah. I think you're not supposed to take tests for Enneagram. You're supposed to read all of the descriptions of them and then see which one feels the most right. I mean, the test is a good way to start. There's really good Enneagram Instagram accounts. I highly recommend following some of them because they really do help put context to the world. I'm like, tell me. what are... It's like when people ask me what books I've read lately, all of a sudden, I couldn't even tell you one book I've ever read. Corinne doesn't even know this. Corinne, you're going to be embarrassed for me. That's like when someone says, what do you guys cover on the podcast? 
podcast. I swear to God, oh, yeah. I come up with like Fleabag. We have yeah. 80 some odd episodes. And I'm like, you know, like Fleabag and it's like blank, normal people. Blank. Maybe I get normal people, <laughs> but like I somehow just can't rattle off like what books, what movies, like it's bad. I bet you guys had a heyday with normal people. Oh, oh we did. Oh my gosh. And I'll tell you, all of them are highest downloaded. That's what I was going to say. Before anything else. Landslide. people are searching normal people yeah. and then that comes up. Tell me in like a sentence what your recap was, what your feeling, the main feeling about normal people was. Miscommunication. That's the first thing that comes. You're not discussing if the book is good or not. You're you're just discussing. Well, we are. No, I was going to say mine was very different. Mine was something I love to hate. Oh, you hate Reddit? Or hate Hate to love. love. I'd have to think about it. Yeah. It's definitely both for me because I was so frustrated. I kept turning the pages going, (laughs) they're driving me nuts. But I would never have put it down. Never. And that's how I felt watching it too. I'm like, what is wrong with these two? Maybe like, that's our Aries response because that is how I felt about it as well. So that's funny. It's awful to read and to watch, but also I loved it. So yeah. yeah. Right. That is exactly how I felt. And by the way, if you want to get a kick out of how people respond to something like that, read our iTunes reviews. And they're <laughs> like that idiot who keeps <laughs> saying she doesn't know if she likes this. That was me. They hated me. Yeah. that's You sent me the screenshots. That book got a very heated review. Are you guys on Twitter? If you're not, never go on it. Never sign up. That book that was so polarizing. Sally Rooney is so polarizing in general. So that's why I was wondering if you were discussing her and her work or you were discussing what's happening in the book. Well, we do both. There's always a segment called What She Said, where we talk about the female creator or author in this instance and first person quotes from hers and kind of deep dive yeah, okay. but to be honest, we always only speak positively about the creator. Oh, yeah. Even if okay. we have different feelings sometimes or not. Actually, I don't even think we yeah. have. But even if we did, we only speak positively because we are talking about like the act of creation, not who they are. And the fact that she wrote this book, it's incredible. I appreciate that so much. I love that. And I love when people take that stance. That's how I run my book reviews as well. I only ever share books I love and speak positively Mm -hmm. because I also think karma will really Mm -hmm. come back to bite you Mm -hmm. if you're going to go around blasting negative things about people on the internet. That's very smart. I love that. I'll have to listen to that. Sometimes we try to be, I especially, can be critical of something, but then I'm always asking why. Like if I say, you know, she rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, well, why? What am I thinking of? Like, what is it bringing up for me? Mm-hmm. And I always try mm-hmm. to make it personal instead of at all an attack. It's more of an inquiry. Yeah. But even that, we really do try to do things that we love. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's just a better feeling. Yes. It's a much better feeling. The people that spend their life doing that, that sounds like soul sucking to me. I'm like Instagram trolls. Excuse me, you spend your days doing that? Like I would be shriveled up in a corner, miserable. I mean, I have enough to be angry about. I don't need to find things and like generate it. Exactly. Well, speaking of things we love, what kind of woman? Absolutely love. We we so appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. You should let people know where to find you on Instagram, Twitter, anywhere, your website. 
if you're on Twitter, you should hit sign out and then delete your account because nothing good happens there. I'm there. Delete Twitter, but I'm on there, but don't even bother. But my Instagram is KJBear, the same for all my mm-hmm. things. You can find me there, book announcements there, armpit of the internet, the whole thing. But there's some good things that happen there too. So it brings your poetry to the world. So we think yeah. it's all good. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And everyone should uh, get what kind of woman if they don't yet have it. Thank you. You know, a great account to follow poetry is Poetry is Not a Luxury, which is a line from, I think, Audrey. Audrey Lord's essay on poetry. It is a beautiful account. They celebrate all sorts of kinds of poets and it is bringing poetry to Instagram, which is wonderful. But anyway, this is so fun, guys. I would second that recommendation. It's a great account as well. They send such a good, diverse group of poetry. This has been so fun. You never know when you go to a podcast highs and lows, but this was really fun the whole time. People should subscribe to this podcast. These are fun, nice ladies. Thank you. We want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology, and we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this podcast we do ourselves, from the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further. So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore Women. For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.